0: You ready? Yeah. You ready? All right, hold on. Here we go. What's going on, everyone? You're listening to the My Nation podcast. I'm Alex Miller with the Eagle, joined by Travis Brown. Travis, it is, it is, it is that time they're playing basketball. They're, it's it's basketball season. Basketball.
1: Okay. Good. Yes, it is,
0: and they ain't a minute. At least they they they've kind of gotten it going these last couple weeks after kind of a shaky start in December and uh, coming off this. We're recording Thursday, coming off a pretty impressive win against number twenty Missouri Wednesday night at Reed Arena.
1: Yeah, the, the, it's exactly what Buzz Williams has said. The game planning has been great. They've uh, since that Wofford loss. Uh, they've kind of changed the way they've done practice. They've changed the way that they kind of looked at each player's role and how they've um, worked the rotation uh, and and what players are getting what minutes. And um, they've had really great game plans against uh, what, what really has been three um, really, really different SEC schools and how they play. Um, and, and with quick turnarounds in those, I mean, you go from Florida to start things off with uh, Castleton, just a, a, a tall, dominating force, mm-hmm. and the way they were able to play him, and then uh, LSU um, with uh, K.J. Williams, and, and a tall guy, but he has a little bit more shooting range were able to limit him, and then they had uh, a completely different game last night against Missouri, uh, which was one of the fastest and best offenses that they played. They were able to kind of muck the game up a little bit, slow it down, uh, and and weather some runs that, that they knew were probably going to happen with Missouri uh, to, to win that game. It's been really impressive. It it, it necessarily – it's different than the run they went on last year because I think last year they just relied on, hey, we're, we're going to play – really high-pressure, up-tempo defense and and go and try to get some transition buckets and do that. And, and this year, it's been more nuanced. They've been able to adjust and change and, and work different game plans uh, for different teams and, and have been really successful at it.
0: Well, A&M now they are 11 and 5 overall, 3 and 0 in the SEC. Uh they're a half game, well, I should say one game back from the lead Alabama and Tennessee tied for first at 4 and 0. ANMs at 3 and 0, Auburn right behind at 3 and 1. A month ago we were talking about, hey, A&M's really got to figure this out. I mean, this was the year that they were like it, it they w- needed to get to the NCAA tournament and it, and they just weren't getting it done and and now it's kind of flipped the script and, you know, they're starting to look like a team that has a potential to, to make the postseason.
1: Yeah, you know, it, it, the, the the key aspects, you know, if you're going to follow a Buzz Williams team, you got to hone in your math because so much of what they do is a math equation and it's been that way since he's been here you, they, they want they want to look at what the strengths of their team are they want to look at the team that they're playing and they're going to find where there is uh statistical wiggle room that if they're not good at this stat where can they get those points back where can they get those minutes back or get those uh, rebounds back or, or possessions back uh and they've done a really good job of balancing that equation this year i mean uh the the crux of this team is their ability to get to the free throw line. They're, first, uh, they're second in the nation in free throw attempts, first at free throws made per game. Um, they're going to do everything they can to get fouled and get to the free throw line. I mean, a huge part of getting that win yesterday and weathering the storm was getting to the bonus early in the second half because then the way that Missouri was playing, that really, really aggressive press, they weren't able to be as aggressive because they knew that if they fouled, they were going to go to the free throw line because A&M's... When, when they did, were able to break the press against Missouri uh, in that second half, their, their half-court offense stalled out a little bit. But when they were able to get to the free-throw line... Uh, they they could get fouled before even crossing the timeline at, at times and get to the free-throw line, and it completely negated the kind of pressure that Missouri could put on. And as they started having a little bit of parade to the free-throw line, Missouri was having to kind of back off a little bit by little on that press and not be quite as aggressive, and it opened up some, some space for a to get... Uh, into the half court and and get it in their half court and set with enough time to to run and get a good shot. So it's all started with their ability to to get to the free throw line. And then as of late, their ability to offensive rebound. Um, They they are now 18th in the country in offensive rebound percentage um, at 35.7%. And and they've um, really, really improved on that as the season has gone on. Dexter Dennis, Julius Marble, Tyrese Radford, among the the, the tops of those guys, uh, to do that. So those are some ways that they haven't been necessarily a great three-point shooting team. At, at times in the season, they've gotten a lot better at this. At times, they've been really pretty terrible at the rim. Um, they're a team that gets to the rim a lot. That's how they get fouled. But making those shots has been a little bit of a struggle. They were really good at that the last two games. Um, but They've been able to mitigate that with offensive rebounds. You know, you miss that layup. You get a rebound. You put another one up, uh, and, and you get points that way. And they've been able to generate points uh, without having to speed up the game by getting free throws. It, the equation is working well for them right now.
0: You know, uh, la- I, last night I was at the game, in Missouri, and was spectating. Got to just kind of take it all in. And you know, something that started stood out to me was. It seems like Henry Coleman and Julius Marble, they really complement each other well. And adding Marble down there at that at, at, at the block, I mean, it, it seems like that's really helped. I mean, last year, Coleman was so good and, and was a, a consistent presence, but I feel like a and adding a second piece and being able to... Ha- and at times when they had both of them on the court, I mean, it seemed like that was a really good duo a has got going so far.
1: Julius Marble is... It, it, for everything that Henry Coleman did last year, and he was great with the ball um, at 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 times last year, Julius Marble is even more confident with the ball. He's stronger. He is as close to a Josh Nebo as AM has had since Josh Nebo. Um, with a guy that makes strong post moves, is strong with the ball, can go up and finish. Uh, I mean, even last night he had a Dirk-esque uh, turnaround, yeah. one-legged. Fadeaway jumper that fell at, at the buzzer that was uh, really impressive. He he has a really well-rounded uh, post game, which which enables them to when they have both Coleman and Marble on the floor, bring Coleman out and pull a taller defender out of the paint and open up some space for their uh, guys to to work off off dribble penetration. Because when Coleman is at his best, he he can. Dribble penetrate a little bit and, and, and work off the dribble um, in, into the paint to, to score. Um, so I think that's been a big help. But they've been really good um, with just one of those guys on the floor. I mean, you saw a lot of Solomon Washington last night, who still is going to, it has to kind of work to, to pick up the offensive side of his game. He's not quite there and not quite SEC ready yet. But he was recruited. I, I mean, I talked to uh, one of his uh, trainers and and kind of uh, select coaches um, a couple weeks ago, and he said his nickname was the uh, the five star uh, defender because he or the five star stopper. Yeah, the five star stopper. Because <laughs> he uh, uh, was just a lockdown defender, and that's kind of how he made his his name and 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 made his bread and butter was. Uh, being a, that defender, and they had him uh, marked up on Kobe Brown for a decent amount of time last night, and were able to kind of shut him down after Kobe Brown went on a little bit of a a run there early. Um, so they have a good rotation. Basically, you'll see the, for their rotation to work, they need either Tyrese Radford or Dexter Dennis on the court at all times because they need they, they're great rebounders. Um, they're guys that play great defense, and they can get into the paint. On dribble penetration so you're you'll pretty much really there hasn't really been a time when one of those guys hasn't been on the court uh, and everything kind of works around those two guys you
0: know i went to the game last night with my sister and she of course had to comment on julius marbles mustache <laughs> and she told me that it looks like chick hicks from cars and i thought that was kind of rude i thought it was i thought it was more of a like a you know, goose from Top Gun kind of kind of mustache, but Mar- Marble's got it going. He, that that is a solid
1: stash. I mean, he's not quite Steve Harvey because that's like the pinnacle yeah. of mustache. Like that's like the, the that, that's like you you've really reached the pinnacle <laughs> when you get to. But it's it's like you know it's closer there on the spectrum than than anything else.
0: Hey, how about that Rubik's cube kid too? I mean, he kind of he kind of stole the, it <laughs> to me. It was kind of like a small scale when Anum played Mississippi State in football a couple years ago and they had the bird. Yes. It was kind of like the bird. And uh that kid, you know, he they showed him at one timeout and he almost got it done. And then the game had to res they actually played that kid doing the Rubik's Cube like ten seconds into the game resuming on the Jumbotron, and then they finally had to cut it. But him him, They go back to him at the next timeout, and he finishes it. Hilarious to see just the crowd go wild for that kid.
1: How crazy is the SEC this year? Yeah, because... Getting back to real basketball talk. Yeah, <laughs> how crazy is the SEC this year? Because Kentucky's picked to be the, the preseason champion, uh, followed by uh, Alabama, Arkansas, Tennessee, uh, those. Right now, Tennessee is on top with their number two-ranked net um followed by Alabama, Arkansas, Auburn, Missouri, Mississippi State, Florida and then Kentucky. Kentucky has had a uh, a a very very down year this year. Um and Tennessee, Alabama, Arkansas, uh Auburn you could might say has had a little bit of a down year this year from what they've been able to do. It, it it's it's there there is a lot of strong teams, don't get me wrong. That's um Let's see: one, two, three, four, five, six in the top fifty uh, in in the net. But it might not be the exact order or the arrangement that you, that that one might have have thought that it would have shaken out. I mean, even uh, uh, Vanderbilt, who's one oh seven, uh, well, South Carolina has lowered them, but South Carolina beat Kentucky uh, in their last game, and South Carolina, who's who the Aggies have this week, it, it's kind of been this weird year where. You kind of know where places people are going to be, but uh, there's been some upsets. And I think it, from the outsider looking in, who didn't quite know what Texas A&M had this year uh, and saw what their non-conference was going to be, you might say that that you know last night was a little bit of an upset, and um, maybe against Florida, a little bit of an upset too. I mean, that's already two quad one wins for the Aggies.
0: Yeah, and you know you kind of look at where the rest of the schedule is going for the rest of the month. I mean. On the road at South Carolina, that's probably a winnable game. They already beat Florida, and they get them at home. Uh, You think that's a winnable game. And then, you know, as vulnerable as Kentucky has been, if if A&M's 5-0 going to Lexington, you feel about as confident as you can going to Kentucky. I think A&M's only ever beat Kentucky one time on the road back when Elston Turner had his crazy game. But, I mean, it's it's starting to set up to where A&M's got – a pretty favorable little schedule here. Now they have three or four on the road, and Auburn is a really hard place to play. Uh, it has become a hard place to play, and then you get you get Vanderbilt at home, and Ar- Arkansas on the road is tough. But you know, you kind of look ahead, and you're like, okay, a And M can if if they can keep playing like they have. I mean, they've they've got some winnable games to where they can get back in tournament can contention and discussion pretty quickly
1: yeah i mean right now if you look at ken palm he has them going 18 and 13 and 10 and 8 which is a vast improvement from what uh he they had them to, to start the season playing around with some of the numbers and things on these sites AM pretty much needs to get to 12 conference wins. Uh, so they need to, right now, they don't have them winning at Kentucky. I think you can chalk that down as it probably should be a win for a Do, and Does that
0: include the conference tournament or just does regular not, season?
1: does not. And, and you know, I, I think Buzz Williams has a point from the way things shook out last year that, you know, they need to be in a good spot prior to the conference tournament because they they did work in the conference tournament last year Uh, and it (laughs) it didn't really do anything to to help them. So you you really need to be in the right position in a good position uh, at that point. I mean, um, you look at, you you think Kentucky would be a win. That's one that they have a loss on here. Um, And you would think that uh, maybe Missouri uh, away might be a a, a win too Uh, or Ole Miss, um, away might be a win there. You 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 nab two or three of those, and then you're looking at a pretty good spot. There's a a fun little website called BartTorvik.com. Another one of these uh, basketball analytics guys, and the thing called TeamCast, where you can kind of play a little bit with um, wins and losses, and with their algorithms, you can kind of see where um, they seed. And if you have them winning those three games, Kentucky. Um, away at Missouri, away at Mississippi, uh, and then winning the, the other games that they're supposed to win this season, um, that puts them on the nine line. Um, right now, according to them as they sit, they're 14 spots out of the last four in. Um, but they they still have a lot of opportunities. They uh, At least as it sits now, they have the opportunity for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight eight more quad one wins. Yeah, that that's um, a that's
0: a good amount of opportunities. Right. Like so. at the end of it, if you're just on the outside looking in, you can't say we didn't have a chance to get in because mm-hmm. they definitely have chances to get in. And,
1: and some of this it's not a it's not a a a 100% spot on tool because there's other things happening. There's going to be other upsets in there and other teams that that help or hurt AM. uh but just it, it's a pretty good Indicator. I mean, last year they had them right there at either uh, last four in or, or first four out as you played around with it. And um, and that's kind of what it turned out to be. So you can kind of get a little bit of a gauge of what they need to do in the future. Buzz Williams uh, presented it to his team um, in the sense that you're supposed to win your home games. Right. You're not supposed to win your road games. So they kind of have this little simple algorithm. And it, it, it's, it's interesting because... When you talk to coaches about, you know, the cliche is, well, it's just about the next game. Well, I think they realized from last year that you need to have a little bit of a bigger picture uh, while still kind of keeping a focus on the next one. And I, I kind of thought this was interesting, this plus-minus system. So if you went on the road, you get a plus one. If you lose on the road, it's a zero. If you win at home, it's a zero, because that's what you're supposed to do. And if mm-hmm. you lose at home, it's a minus one. Mm. And so they kind of just, as the season goes on, I mean, right now they are a plus one because they won at Florida and have won twice at home in, in SEC. He said he thinks they need to get to a plus three, plus four situation to be able to make the tournament. Uh, that That's not factoring in net. That's an overly simplified thing. But it is an interesting way to present it to the team where they – have a little bit of an idea of the big picture, but they are also focused on, okay, well, we just need to get to plus one today or or hold serve if they're at home uh, to get to the next game to kind of reach that plus three uh, margin. It's kind of one of those ones that you think if if they can get there and they turn around and look back, things will probably have shaken out the way that they have wanted to in terms of of net rankings and quadrant one wins and and all those things that the uh, uh, committee takes into account. You know,
0: we talk about all this and haven't even mentioned that Manny Obasaki's hurt. He's going to be out probably at least the rest of the month of January, at least maybe a little bit into February. Got what, broken hand?
1: Broken hand. He had surgery last week. Buzz Williams, as, as of last week, said it was going to be a four to six week recovery. You know, he was at the game and had his, it's his shooting hand. He's left handed mm-hmm. um, in, in a sling. It's been interesting to see how they've, in, instead of subbing someone into that spot, They've really just increased the they've they've shortened the or, or shrunk the rotation. Um, the way things have worked past your your starting lineup of uh, uh, Julius Marble, Henry Coleman, Tyrese Radford, Dexter Dennis, and Wade Taylor, they've pretty much always gone and usually in the same substitution with Andre Gordon and uh, Anderson Garcia to come in as uh, kind of defensive sparks. There aren't going to be necessarily guys that get you a lot of points, but Anderson Garcia is, like, second on the – at least as of last week was second on the team in Hakeem rate, which is blocks uh, blocks and, and, and steals per, per uh, 100 possessions. And uh, he the, – the, the top net rate of lineups has those two guys in it. So that's – you look at um, the amount of points a team can score in 100 possessions, that's your offensive – rate how many uh, points that they allow defenses to score uh, that's your defensive rate and then the the difference between those is your net rate they have a really high defensive rate and that's helps the net their net rating on, on those guys it, it, in essence it's it's their best lineups they're doing their best jobs and they have those two guys in there uh, now the offensive rate is higher when you have um, you know, one of either Marble and Coleman who gets subbed out there for that guy, or uh, Dexter Dennis or Wade Taylor. With one of those guys comes in, but basically, Obasky had been running, had been a good defensive um, and good dribble penetration guy at the point when he had been playing this th- this year, and they've kind of just used that as a time to give Andre uh, Andre Gordon a little bit, few more, a little bit more minutes to kind of provide that defensive spark and um, help play what has been. Really strong defense through SEC play. Well,
0: Travis, as we kind of wrap up our basketball talk, Anum's got, like we said, two probably winnable games next week with South Carolina and Florida, and then two good road tests against Kentucky and Auburn. As they start to look in the next two weeks, what what do you, what do you think the Aggies need to do, or what are you looking to see from them as they try to, you know, maybe separate themselves as maybe a contender, or could potentially just fall into the middle of the pack and. Kind of just a wild SEC that, that we've seen early on.
1: I mean, they they, they need to just keep winning, um, That, that as, <laughs> yes. as easy as that sounds. Because really and truly, until they get to Auburn, the next three games are, are winnable. South Carolina is the worst uh, net-ranked team. They can't afford to take another quad four loss. They have to win at South Carolina. Um, Florida, they had a great game plan against, and it's at home. Um, Those mirror games are always interesting because of how Florida's seen how A and M has changed things up. Uh, There won't be quite as much of a surprise. Quick turnaround too. Quick turnaround too. It'll be interesting to see how that one uh, goes. And then uh, Kentucky now all of a sudden seems really winnable, even though it's on the road. Uh, And I think they need if they can extend that. Really, if you look at their schedule, it is really back heavy. Um, when you look at uh, the, the the really tough tests. You're going to have a little stretch here in the middle with Auburn and Arkansas, uh, but they're kind of interspersed between there's a Vanderbilt, there's a Georgia, there's an LSU, there's some winnable games in there. But then they uh, the last stretch is Arkansas, Missouri, Tennessee, Mississippi State, then they have Ole Miss, which should be winnable, and then Alabama. Uh, that That is a tough stretch when you look at how things are playing out in the net and how some of those teams are playing. So this is the time that they really need to – um, if you want to look at that plus-minus, start getting that plus-minus higher because there, there could be a couple of losses there at the end, um, and, and you don't want that to turn into a snowball like it did last year. Um, maybe just a blip here or there and, and already have some goodwill in the bank that uh, maybe if there's a couple losses towards the end of the season that they've already kind of uh, racked up quad one wins and, and uh, gotten their, their Ken Palm ranking, their net ranking uh, up higher so that it it doesn't vacillate too much
0: well basketball season in full swing follow Travis for all his coverage on A&M men's basketball follow Robert Sesson for all his coverage on A&M women's basketball but A&M football they have hired an offensive coordinator Bobby Petrino stay tuned for the next segment of the Biogenation podcast we'll have Bob Holt of the Arkansas Democrat Gazette kind of giving a look into what A&M can expect to see from Bobby Petrino
1: What's going on, everyone? This is uh, both a video and the Miyagi Nation podcast this week. I got Robert Cessna over here. I'm Travis Brown with the Eagle, and we have one Bob Holt from the Arkansas Democrat Gazette to uh, break down. AM's newest hire Bobby Petrino the offensive coordinator that of course was the head coach at Arkansas first Let's start off with Bob. How are you doing?
2: I'm, I'm doing well. We're getting ready for a big hoops game tonight, Arkansas and Alabama. Oh, wow. Yeah, That's great six o'clock. Yeah, it's a big big game H- Have a good holidays Bob it was okay. Uh, drove to Memphis on Christmas Day. Everyone's a dream, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so it was the Liberty Bowl, but it, it was good. It was, it turned out to be a wild game. Arkansas yeah. beat Kansas in triple overtime. So, and the Liberty folk, Liberty Bowl folks are good people. So, it, it was fine. Yeah, but it was okay.
3: Yeah, I went. To, we went to the Liberty Bowl. That's one of those bowls. I don't have any problem going long as it's not every other year. Long as you can go every four year, five years. It's not one of the bigger bowls, but I'll take the livery Bowl. Got that nice jacket. They still got those nice jackets. Those nice pullovers? No,
2: uh, we, we 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 got a hat, but hey, oh, anything's wow. appreciated. Cutbacks. There cutbacks. you go. Wow, I'm
1: glad I got the pullover. Well, the, the biggest news in in Bryan College Station these days is Bobby Petrino coming to town to be the offensive coordinator. Uh Bob, let's just start with what what are your general recollections of of Bobby Petrino as a head coach at at, at Arkansas, and uh, what are, at least football-wise, what are A&M fans getting into down here?
2: Well, I mean, he's an elite offensive play caller. You know, as a head coach, he always called the plays. Um, Excuse me. I, I think he's called the plays wherever he's been uh, forever and ever, you know, he's offensive, uh, play caller in the NFL. And then he called the plays when he was the Falcons head coach there briefly for 13 games. I think it was. And, uh, I remember Paul Petrino, his brother, who I believe is at central Florida. Now Paul was the head coach at Idaho for a while, went to a bowl game, um, there. And, um, he always said, you know, it, it makes, it didn't make sense for Bobby not to call the plays even as the head coach, because he, he, he was so good at it. He is so good at it. And I remember uh, Paul had this saying that th- it was a saying the Petrino's used was f- their offense philosophy is F. Uh, let's see. FTS, feed the studs. In other words, <laughs> get, get the ball to your playmakers. And that's really uh, what their offense uh, revolves around is making sure, uh, you know, their best players get the ball in their best positions, get the ball in space. You know, they always ran a lot of crossing routes. Uh you know, people think of Bobby Petrino as, as, as a, you know, passing guy. And of course he is. He had great quarterbacks here like Ryan Mallett. Tyler Wilson was all SEC. Mallett was a third-round pick in the NFL. I think uh, Ryan or, or Tyler was a fourth-round pick. Um, and and he had a lot of great receivers here. But he also always had a good running game. You know, Nile Davis rushed for over 1,300 yards. I guess it was in, in 2010. Unfortunately, tore up his knee in the preseason in 2011 missed that year, but he had a couple thousand yard rushers here and he's going to have good balance. Bobby basically is going to exploit whatever he can defensively, depending on who they're playing. You know, um, he's not going to throw the ball 50 times necessarily, or I think he's going to do whatever it takes to to win the game and move the ball. But, um, he's a guy that always impressed me with how he could analyze, you know, break down a team's defense and figure out mismatches and, uh, one of the things he always did that I think he really enjoyed the most, I don't think he's super comfortable being in front of the camera, but he, you know, he had a coach's show, like everybody has a coach's show, right, for the extra money. And a segment he used to do was he would uh, break down the, they they, they they put some plays up on a big screen. He would just go up there and start diagramming things like, here's, here's how this guy got so wide open on this touchdown. And you could tell he was really in his element doing that. So I think A&M's getting a, an elite offensive mind and elite play caller and it's hard to believe a team having by Petrino calm plays and not moving the ball pretty well.
3: You know, uh, Bob, you mentioned, I was thinking about coming in when we talk about this, remember the time he dominated, you know, Mike Sherman's team. And I was always impressed how he could call third downs. And I, I do remember what you talked about, that how he made good use of who he had, because I didn't think Mallett was a great quarterback. I didn't think he was going to go to the NFL and do great things. I remember Davis, what a great running back. I remember what you said about how good he used all the people. And, and I'm thinking about him and Jimbo, and I thought, well, I could see that because the tight ends or the running game. But now I want to ask you a question, which I didn't know. It's it, Say what you will those games when he played A&M was 2009, 2010. You know, that's like 13 years ago. And the way that people use the spread now and the way the offices have changed and all the young bucks like the Riley's and, and the Kendall Browse and whatever. My question is, how does this, how do you think his, his offensive philosophy works now? And I know Arkansas played uh, Missouri, whoever it was this year. Does, does he use more of the spread or is he still doing main, main, mainly the same things he was, doing back in like 2010 or 11
2: well yeah it was Missouri State FCS team and they gave Arkansas all they wanted uh they were up on Arkansas 17 to nothing and Arkansas ended up winning the game I think it was 38-27 but to say that Missouri State threw a scare into Arkansas would be an understatement they they had a little shovel pass to uh Rocket Sanders that broke free and then they had a punt return and, uh, but, but, they, they were trailing that game going to the fourth quarter. And he really, it was Arkansas fans worst nightmare by Petrino's come back to light up your defense. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but, but Arkansas did pull it out, but yeah, I think Bobby's changed with the times. Um, I think there are probably principles that he adheres to, uh, you know, that he, that he probably always has going back to when he was a young coach. But, um, yeah, I mean, he, you know, he had some good players at Missouri state. They had a lot of uh, FBS transfers, he had a dual threat quarterback, so if he's got a pocket passer, I think he's going to make that guy uh, do good things. And if he's got a dual threat guy, he'll take advantage of that skill set too. Um, he, he's not, like I say, he's not just—he doesn't want to just just throw the, the bomb. But there, there was a play. This was like prototypical by Petrino. They had a fourth and one, maybe fourth and inches, like at the Arkansas forty or forty-five. He went for it. And um, they play action, and they threw a touchdown pass. And you're like, man, that is just by Fatrino. You, you should have seen that coming a mile away. But, um, you know, he, 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 he's going to gamble some probably. Um, I remember, it's funny, I'm going to try to tell my own home, but I remember telling people during the year, man, a-, you know, when know, and m was struggling, I said, you know, by Fatrino, I think he's making about 300000 at Missouri State, which is great money for an FCS coach. But I said, a and could probably pay him a couple million. And he's got his son, Nick, as his offensive coordinator, he has a couple son-in-laws on the staff. I said, Well, heck, they could probably bring those guys as analysts. I don't understand why AM doesn't go after Bobby Petrino. And somebody said, Well, Bobby will never be an assistant again. He's got to run the show. And and Jimbo would never, you know, give that, give a play calling to, to a guy like Bobby that would basically, I would assume, would ask for total power over the offense. Total control is probably a better word. And so I kind of, you know, and it didn't happen. And then he went to UNLV, uh, assuming he was going to work with Barry Odom, who, of course, was Arkansas's defensive coordinator. So they were going at it that night, play column wise. And, uh, but, but I think he makes a lot of sense for AM because, you know, obviously their offense has been in the, in the, uh, dumpster, uh, ditch, whatever <laughs> metaphor you want to use. And by Vitrino, I think is a guy that, that can, that can get him out of there. I can tell you, Arkansas fans are probably not looking, for, I mean, not, they're not looking forward to going against them with the kind of talent he's going to have at A&M to work with after what he did, almost did to him with Missouri State.
1: I'm curious. There, there's only so much you know we can glean from coaches and press conferences and things like that. But I am curious about what you think the uh, the, the personality dynamic would be in a in a coach's room between Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino from what, what you, you know about him.
2: Well, of course, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend I know Bobby Petrino <laughs> real well. I was in press conferences with him. I never had a... Actually, I had one-on-one conversation with him. It was in the parking lot uh, when one of their coaches fell ill. I, I was uh, in the parking lot, and I saw this ambulance. And um, I couldn't figure out who it was, but I heard it was a coach. So I waited Right, It was a Friday before a ball game. And uh, the coaches all came out, and I figured out it was Willie Robinson. It had to be Willie Robinson, the defense coordinator, because I didn't see him. So I just waited there by my car, and Bobby comes out. He's carrying his clothes, you know, over his shoulder because they're getting ready to To go to their hotel i guess on friday before the game and i just went up to him said bobby what's going on one of your coaches i heard one of your coaches had to be had to be taken to the hospital and bobby to his credit he filled me in told me it was Willie. gave me basically gave me a scoop (laughs) you know so i was happy about that but um you know i think coaches meetings probably get, get pretty heated i mean bobby's a pretty intense guy i think that's putting it mildly and um, I have to believe if he came there, of course, I wasn't privy to negotiations with, with him and Jimbo, but I got to believe Jimbo had to give Bobby, you know, control of that offense. I can't believe Bobby would come, agree to come there and have Jimbo or anybody looking over his shoulder, so to speak. Obviously Jimbo's the head coach, Bobby's the coordinator, but I got to believe Bobby, I don't know if he got it in writing, but I got to believe there's some kind of agreement that, hey, I'm running the offense. You know, It's my offense. Um, like I say jimbo's the head coach and maybe he can say well this is four down territory or we're kicking a field goal or whatever but i would have a hard time believing that bobby petrino would let anybody veto his play call and maybe i'm wrong about that, that that's just my opinion but um yeah bobby's very exacting i, I remember when he got fired and they, they were, uh, but they had this most of the same staff back for 2012. John L. Smith came back as the interim coach. He'd been mm-hmm. an assistant with Bobby. He'd been Bobby's head coach at Louisville, and Bobby was a coordinator. And then when John L. went to Michigan State, Bobby replaced him as Louisville head coach. But um, I remember talking to some veteran coaches who were at practice, some older guys, and they said that, um, you know, basically those coaches were letting some things slide in practice as far as. Guys not running r- routes as precisely. I mean, if you're not running that route like to the inch you're supposed to, Byfuglien is going to stop practice, probably light Indy, and make sure you run that route uh, the right way. He's very precise. He's very exacting. He doesn't uh, suffer mistakes <laughs> very well. Um, he holds. He's going to hold guys accountable, and so um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if if those meetings could get a bit heated.
3: You know, I'm interested, Bob, in your time, you're, you know, you've been there a long time. You've seen a lot of coaches come and go. How would you rate the Patrino pater- the era compared to other coaches in Arkansas during your time in Arkansas?
2: Well, I mean, he had, he had a really good record. He came, he took over for Houston Nutt, who had, uh, a, you know, Houston had a really good 10-year run. He, ever, he won 75 games. Even I know that's seven, seven and a half wins a year. And some of those were years you only played 11 games. And, uh you know, so Houston Nutt did a really good job, but I guess you know after 10 years, he kind of run its course, and he he went to Ole Miss, um, and then Bobby came in, and and uh, they had kind of a rough first year, five and seven, but you, you could see the progress they were making. And then the next year, they went eight and five, and the last few years, they were, you know, 10 and two, and went to the Sugar Bowl, lost to Ohio State. Probably should have beaten them. And the next year they went um, eleven and two and beat a good Kansas State team. In the Cotton Bowl finished in the top ten, so Bobby had had it rolling. Um, I will say this: until his fifth year at Louisville, he'd never been anywhere more than four years, and things kind of went off the rails. His last year at Louisville, you know, he coached the Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Jackson. He'd won some bit, a lot of games. That last year, he got fired, going two and eight. And so I kind of wonder if, with his intensity or whatever you want to call it, if you know, Bobby kind of. Wears on people, so maybe he should only be somewhere three, four years. If you look at his track record, that that's usually what he's done. He's been very successful, but, um, yeah, yeah, I, I think I think A um, you know, the, the offense is going to be a lot better by Petrino calling the plays. I, I have to believe.
3: You know, it's an interesting situation because I'll touch on this. Everybody tries to get better in the offseason. We know that through recruiting, uh, now the transfer portal, and of course. Coaching staffs are so huge in the SEC. Of course, AM and bringing in—they feel a home run at Patrino. What about your own situation? Kendall Brown's names was, was mentioned. He ends up staying at Arkansas. You're right. You have to replace your defensive coordinator. He's gone. Where do you feel Arkansas feels in relationship? They're always going to look, you know, to LSU. Whatever does has this been a good off for Sam Pittman and as he, you know, adjusts or keeps his st- staff intact?
2: Yeah, it's, it's been a lot of turnover, but you know, Sam, I'll give him credit. He's never been afraid. You know, he's had some coaches leave because uh, you know they wanted to leave. Like Brad Davis's offensive line coach took took a job at LSU because he was from Baton Rouge. Justin Stepp, his wide receivers coach, who was actually a over from Chad Morris' staff, went to Columbia, South Carolina, because he was from South Carolina. But Sam's also whether he felt the guy wasn't a strong recruiter, maybe wasn't getting it done. He he'll fire those guys. I mean, I think you know Sam Pittman's a good guy, and he's you know, down home and all that stuff, but he's an SEC coach too. And and he coached for Kirby Smart, you know, I think he learned a lot from Kirby and sometimes the SEC got to be kind of cutthroat. And if you feel like a guy's not getting it done, what for whatever reason, then he's going to make a change. And he's done that with some, some guys, you know, Barry Odom obviously was a, you know, I know Arkansas had their issues on defense, but they didn't necessarily have the most talented, uh, defensive backs and they lost Jalen Catalan who's now resurfaced to Texas which doesn't sit real well with Arkansas fans but hey you know guys guys are free to do what they want to do and um but you know Barry took the UNLV job so they they went out and got uh, Travis Williams from Central Florida you know with Gus Malzahn, and, and Travis had a background of playing at, playing at Auburn and and uh, you know coaching at Auburn so he's got, obviously got an SEC pedigree and he's a younger guy really aggressive. Barry was a little bit more of a drop eight sometimes. I mean, Barry tried to be aggressive, too. A lot of it depends on your personnel. But um, one thing, that they, they they hired Florida's DB's coach to be their uh, co-coordinator, but Travis Williams is going to call the plays. At least he's getting paid a lot more, so I assume he's going to call the plays. And um, they, those guys both were former recruiting coordinators. So I think one thing Sam's talked about, again, like I say, he coached with Kirby Smart is, you know, if you're going to win in the SEC, you better recruit at a pretty high level. And so um, I remember he said Kirby, when Sam, he brought in Sam as the old line coach his first year at Georgia. He said, you got to change your room. meaning you got to recruit the guys that are going to help Georgia win at an elite level. And, and Sam did that before he left to come back to Arkansas as a head coach. But, um, and of course, they lost at Dow Loggins or tight ends coach who coordinated his job in South Carolina, but they they brought in uh, Morgan Turner from Stanford. Who You know, people know the NFL, you know, Norv Turner's his uncle and um, his dad, whose first name escapes me, was the head coach of the Bears at Ron Turner. And he's put a lot of players, uh, Morgan Turner has in the NFL. So I think that was a pretty good hire. Not saying, you know, Dow Loggins was a former offensive coordinator in the NFL. So he was probably way overqualified to be a tight ends coach in college. But I think Sam's added some pretty good, pieces i think he's probably added some good recruiters and so um you know in the sec you're always going to have turnover and and, you know kendall browse i think it was big to keep him some arkansas fans get upset because he calls this player that play but overall arkansas is very balanced offenses i think they averaged over 230 yards running and passing uh, put up a lot of points and so i know mississippi state made a run at him but i think it was good for arkansas to retain kendall i I think he's done a real good job
3: you know i was getting back to is i want to look what what petrino adds to the A&M Arkansas rivalry because I know Arkansas was upset when they lost all. I mean, losing those games to A&M, then they finally beat A&M, and of course last year I think Arkansas felt felt they should have won that game. So now you know they they're seven and six. That's going to be another big game this year. Now petrino's on the other side. What's that going to add? Do you feel to the A&M Arkansas rivalry?
2: Oh yeah. It just, it just pours a lot of fuel on it. Cause you know, there's there some Arkansas fans that never wanted Bobby fired. Um, they felt like, you know, he, he that the, the, the sin didn't match the punishment or whatever <laughs> the crime didn't match the punishment or whatever you want to call it. Um, and there are others. It's just, um, you know, wish man, I wish that hadn't happened. He was still the coach, but like I said, I think Bobby, I, I think he's maybe after four or five years, maybe it's better for him to move on. Just, with his personality and things i may be wrong about that but um but i say the only time he's ever been anywhere more than four years he got fired and it it didn't end well at louisville the the second stint he had some you know i say lamar jackson went to heisman they had some real good teams but at the end it it was not going well and um but you know he went to west kentucky and did a good job He, he well actually he did that before he went back to louisville and then he he, Missouri State hadn't been to the FCS playoffs in a million years, and he took them there for two years this past. It was weird. They, they, uh, they were undefeated, they gave Arkansas all they wanted, and then after that, they kind of crashed, and maybe that just game just took a lot out of them, but um, yeah, you look at Bobby's track record, he, he's won everywhere he's been and had really good offense. Yeah, it's going to add a lot, at least from the Arkansas standpoint, because I think they're like, oh man, we got to face Petrino. I mean, they thought last year was bad, now <laughs> we got to face him in the SEC, and like I said, that's been a tough series for Arkansas. Lost a lot of close games. Probably, if you look at the last 10 years, there's probably three or four of those, including last year, you say, well, how did Arkansas lose that game? You know, we, we all know that they were driving to go ahead 21-7, to and then... They had that crazy play that was basically like a 13-point turnaround. You know, A&M missed the extra points. It went a 14-point turnaround, but it wasn't good. And, and that just t- seemed to turn the whole game around. But, yeah, I don't think Arkansas fans were real, are going to be real excited to face by Petrino in the SEC.
1: Well, Bob, uh, thanks for giving us so much of your time to break down that new Texas A&M hire. Um, real quick, I know people have, have uh, followed your stuff, know who you are, and, and seen you on this, but uh, let everybody know where they can uh, find you and find your
2: work. Okay, well, I'll try to remember all this. We have, we have different websites. We have <laughs> arkansasonline.com. We've got uh, NWA, which is northwestarkansasonline.com. We have Whole Hog Sports uh, if you want to be a subscriber, we'd we'd love it. And uh, my Twitter, it's weird. It's kind of like your phone number. You, you don't, you never call yourself. Say, I think I'm Bob Holt at ADG on Twitter. Um, but yeah, we do have a, a paywall, which I know upsets some people. But you know, it's 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 about a dollar a day. So if you want to know about the Razorbacks, so hopefully that'd be worth it to you.
3: You know, Bob, I know with football, the bad thing about it is we don't get to go to Arkansas. You don't get to come down here. But I know with Arkansas being such good in basketball, you guys follow them on the road. But now with Bobby here, whoever comes down could probably just stay at his house. I'm sure you guys got, you know, saved the paper some money. And I'm sure he's got a room or two when he when he, when he buys a house down here. Yeah, that, I don't
2: think Bobby would probably be <laughs> Or any coach for that man, or not Bobby? Probably any coach for that man. I don't think he'd probably want to have a reporter staying in his house. But but different
3: uh, sports. That's what I meant. You know, definitely. it's just come down for the basketball, not the, the football. I'm sure Bobby will put you up. <laughs> yeah. Well,
2: I'll, I'll, I'll check into that. Yeah.
3: Thank, hey, Bob. Thanks so much for giving us a few
1: minutes of your time. Thank y'all for uh, watching and listening to the Miami Nation podcast.
0: It seems like every day, everything just has a way, No way that must have but if we don't watch what we are doing, our hearts We'll get ruined by silly things Good love ain't easy, girl, we know that's true but if we want to keep it We gotta watch everything that we do, yeah do want to make sure, my baby Make sure you're sticking with me I wanna make sure that we'll be all that we can be all-